You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today, we have a guest speaker. Anyway, thank you. Good morning. Welcome. Uh, thanks for being here. My name is Aaron Paul, one of the pastors here at Grace Church. Uh, this is my first time getting to preach as a pastor, so this is, uh, this is exciting. Uh, yeah, thanks. Wait to hear the message, and then you can clap after. Um, I am uh, bivocational, so meaning I'm working full-time in the marketplace. I don't, I don't get paid to, to be here. I don't get paid on staff. Uh, I'm actually... Uh, I sell training systems to schools uh, with a company called Advanced Technologies Consultants. So uh, anyway, glad to be here, glad to be able to serve. And one reason I think I was asked to, to preach today is because my wife Bethany and I have, uh, have adopted. We've experienced uh, God's grace to us as we've stepped out in faith to, um, to, to love uh, the orphan, what we're going to hear today. Um, and how he did that, just kind of a short Real short uh, story is uh, my wife and I, several years ago on an Orphan Sunday, heard about all the needs around us. We heard about the uh, need for foster care and adoption, and so we felt um, God leading us to pursue foster care. And so we went through the process through a company called Arrow, and we, we got certified, almost completely certified. We were through the whole process. We just had to sign some paperwork and, and be on the list for them to send us uh, kids. And we did that twice got like 95% of the way through, and then something would happen. The first time, um, there was a family that needed a place to live, so we had a family live with us for three months, and so we didn't want to do foster care and have uh, a family live with us. And then similar uh, situation the second time, and so we really felt like, man, God, like, we, we want to we do this foster care, but it seems like every time we get almost all the way down the road, there keeps being these like roadblocks. There keeps being all of these, uh, you know, basically like closed doors. And so... Uh, God had prepared our hearts for foster care, but we just didn't have uh, the opportunity until uh, one day we had somebody uh, come to us and say that she wanted us to adopt her baby. She become she was pregnant unexpectedly and, and wanted us to consider adopting her baby. Uh, and so Bethany and I prayed about it and, and decided uh, to say yes, and we got to adopt Bo. If you've met our, our kids, we've got five kids now. We had four biological, and then our youngest, Bo, was adopted uh, two and a half years ago, uh, and I will say for anybody that's considering adoption um, that has experience with kids, this is kind of what I experienced. It was kind of like riding a bike, and so we had four kids before both, so we knew what to expect. We knew about the, you know, not sleeping for the first year, uh, all the diapers, you know, all the stuff that we needed. We still had a lot of stuff, um, but it was kind of like riding a bike that we hadn't ridden in eight years, so, you know, like, we, we knew what to do, but man, these muscles, I didn't remember using these muscles when I rode a bike. I, wow, it's harder to get up in the middle of the night eight years later. Uh, but it's been a joy. Bo's been a, a blessing to our family. Um, and so anyway, just that's, I think that's why, uh, and I want to share that with you, but why I'm asked to speak uh, today. What we're going to do for today, we're going to be in James chapter 1. So if you have your Bible with you, if you have your device, um, if you would turn to James chapter 1. We're going to be just reading one verse today, James chapter 1, verse 27. And what I want to do for today, I'm going to give you a summary, really main point. If you're going to take away a main point, here's what I think the main point of James 1.27 is before we look at the text. Is if we are Christians, then we will live distinctly different 
and take care of those most in need around us. If we are Christians, then we will live distinctly different and take care of those most in need around us. Uh, and what I want to do to kind of structure our times, we're going to look at three questions that I think are right from the, the verse. We're going to look at a what. So what does the verse tell us? What is the passage about? Second question we're going to ask is why. So if this passage is about this, why should we care? Why should we obey? And then the third is how. So let me pray before we read, and then we'll go. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. Thank you that you've given us life. God, thank you that you have blessed us with freedom to be able to meet together. Thank you for your word that, Lord, you don't leave it up to us to guess how do you want us to live. You have given us your word through the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, Father, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would fill me, that you would speak truth through me, that you would open our hearts to the truth of what we hear today, that we'd be changed and shaped and molded by your word for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at James 1, 27. Again, this is God's holy word. Verse 27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So what we're going to do again, we've got three questions, what, why, and how. For the what question, what I want to do is just go word by word, basically, through this verse, and look at what do each of these words mean so that we can get an idea of what this passage means. So the, the first word uh, that we see here is religion, but before we jump into that, let me just give you a little context, because I think it's always important when we look at Scripture not to just read that verse and say, what did that verse say, but what's going on? What's the, the greater context? And well, I think, first of all, we're in James. I don't think I know we're in James. Uh, James was the brother of Jesus. James uh, is writing to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, and he's writing to Christians. Uh, and many theologians believe that James uh, really is similar to Proverbs. And I, th I think as I've read James with that uh, mindset or with those lenses on, it's helped me to understand it because in the past I got frustrated with James. I don't know if you've ever read James, but I got frustrated because I was reading James like I would read Paul, and I was expecting him to just have like one point and kind of carry that through with arguments like Paul does, and James doesn't. He seems like he's all over the place. But once I started looking at James like Proverbs, it started to make more sense. There's sections where James has a clear thought for a section, and then he's going to tell you something else about, you know, what it means to be a Christian. Let me tell you something else. I think that is, I mean, I didn't ask James before today, but I do think after reading it, that seems to be consistent with the way that he writes. So if that's true, I think our section for today is verses 26 and 27. And look at 26. It says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And then we get our verse for today. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So before we get into the words that we're going to look at, I think that's our context. I think James is answering the question that the readers would have asked, okay, if, if this type of religion is worthless, then what kind of religion is worthful? I don't know what that word would be. What, what kind of religion is valuable? If that one's worthless, if this one's uh, just a mist that vanishes, what is uh, religion that is 
uh, of value? What is religion that's substantive? What's religion that's true? And that's what we have in our verse today. So first word, religion. What is that word? Well, that word can be translated uh, as worship. Um, And this word here is most likely not referring just to an action, but to a whole set of beliefs and practice. Paul uses this same Greek word for religion when he's telling his testimony before, before the governor Festus and King Agrippa in Acts 26, verse 5. He's, he's answering those who, who are accusing him. And here's what he says to Agrippa. He says, they, talking about those accusers, they've known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. So I think religion here really means the same as like how we would use religion today. It's, uh, it's not just worship, it's, it's more a, a whole set of beliefs and accompanying lifestyle appropriate for the way one believes he should relate to God. I think that's what religion is here. Now, I'm glad, uh, if you're like me, I grew up in the 90s, and I'm glad that the pendulum has swung back, but I remember in the 90s, uh, not only were there some good boy bands, um, some cool, cool clothing, but there was also this, uh, this I won't say movement, but, but I, I remember hearing uh, adults when they were asked, what does it mean to be a Christian, uh, saying, well, you know, Christianity is it's really more of a relationship than it is a religion. You guys remember that? Have you ever answered that when someone was asked? Now, I believe that's true. I think that's the heart of the gospel is reunification with relationship with God the Father through Jesus. Uh, I believe that's true, but, but I do think uh, the Bible is quite clear that our, our relationship with God has a certain set of standards, uh, has expectations that God has on us, that he rightly puts on his people that are in relationship with him. So that's what's in view with religion. It's Yes, it's a relationship with God, but it's, okay, knowing what we know about God, how do we, how do we live? How do we, what, what do we do to to worship and to honor God. That's what is in view here with the word religion. Let's go to our our next few words. Pure and undefiled before God. So another way to translate this in context would be to say true or genuine or acceptable. So some translations you'll see that. They'll say religion that is acceptable before God. Religion that is true. Religion that is genuine. And so while the actual words here mean pure and undefiled or spotless, with the phrase before God, it seems to carry more connotation about being acceptable to. There's a similar passage in Romans 12.1. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Pure and undefiled here, I believe, is more about the before God part than just about the quality of religion itself. So just think a minute. I'm using this time to get a, a drink, but uh, think about your, the latest like refreshment commercial that you've seen, right? If you've, you've bought water recently and you've looked at the package, or you've seen a, a Sprite ad, or even like Coors Light, right? The the commercials are, and the packaging are referencing the purity of the product, but they're not just a statement of fact, right? It's not just talking about how this water is pure, or this beer is from the cold, crisp Rockies. Uh, It's also, it's a, a appeal to the customer to, because this is pure, because this is 
good and clean and crisp, you should drink this, right? It, it talks about the, the product in comparison with others as a, uh, a, pre, a, a, a appeal for that person to, to get that pure product. So the purity of that product then needs to conform to the scruples and preferences of the end user or customer. So I'm sure there's some here that despite the Coors Brewing Company's best attempts to convince you that it's cold and crisp from the Rockies, you're not going to accept that beer, that beer as pure and undefiled. How much more with God? God who is holy. God who is perfect. God who we see in 1 John 1.6 is light in whom there's no darkness at all. And who Hebrews 1.3 says holds the whole universe together by the word of his power. We need to be reminded in our grace-heavy culture from time to time that God does not just accept you the way that you are. Yes, He created you. Yes, He loves you. But you, on your own, are marred with sin through and through. You and I, apart from Christ, are not acceptable to God. So what do we do? What does God accept? What is religion that's pure and undefiled before God? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's keep reading. Is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction? So I've often struggled with this this passage because when you you get it, especially in the ESV, you you get this. and, And what does it mean? What does it mean to visit orphans and widows? Does Jesus have stock in Hallmark? Uh, Why does he say visit? Well, I don't know. People much smarter and more learned than I decided in the ESV to translate the word here as visit. Uh, The word is used a lot in the New Testament and uh, is used in a few different ways. The word can mean to visit, but it can mean to take care of or be present with. For example, Jesus in Matthew 25, 36, speaking to the faithful servants, says, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the author of Hebrews uses the same Greek word in Hebrews 2.6 when quoting Psalm 8, 4-6. And he says, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? The word here in Hebrews is translated as care. So I I think in our context, I think in the context of James 1.27, we could understand it to say this. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit, be present with, and to care for orphans and widows in their affliction. So James is answering the question, you want to know what real religion is like? You want to know what uh, kind of religion God accepts? It looks like this. Caring for, being present with, widows and orphans. So orphans and widows, especially in that culture, were some of the most vulnerable people. Let's, let's think about orphans for a moment. And let's, let's think about just the practical aspects for a minute. Set aside the terrible emotional hurt and loss uh, and, and just think about just, just the practical stuff. This child now has to fend for themselves. Whom do they go stay with? Who raises them and cares for them? Who ensures that they aren't taken advantage of? Who ensures that they get the inheritance that they are supposed to? Who clothes them? Who teaches them? 
now bring back all of that emotional trauma, this would be a very vulnerable group of people, orphans. How about, how about widows? Again, set aside the emotional aspect for a minute. There are so many logistics to work through. How old is she? Did she have young children? What was the family business? Is she able to do that work? If so, who watches the kids? Who ensures that she's not taken advantage of? Who ensures that she's protected and cared for? Who ensures that she gets any life insurance money? Who helps her with any debts that her husband may have owed? Who helps get the Christmas tree out of the attic? Who helps fix the leaky uh, faucet? Now add back on top of that all of the emotional loss and loneliness, and this would also be a very vulnerable group of people. James says, what God accepts, what real true religion looks like, is to care, to care about, to care for, to visit, protect, and help orphans and widows. And to keep going in the words, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, if I hadn't read you the whole entire verse, if I'd asked you ahead of time, uh, by show of hands, how many people know what James 127 says? Or how many people know, uh, you know what the Bible says about true religion? I think some of us, like me, would have said, oh yeah, I know, the Bible says to care for widows and orphans, right? That's true religion. But what's interesting is it's not all that James says. He says, yes, to true religion, acceptable religion, what is true and acceptable worship before God is to care for widows and orphans. But that's not all he says. He says it's that and to keep oneself unstained from the world. What does that mean? Well, I think Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 5, it's not removing oneself from dealings with the world. It's not, James isn't saying, hey, we need to get a compound with all the good people here and we just need to stay away from the bad people over there. That's what it means to stay unstained. Um, That's not what he's talking about. I believe what James has in mind is much more along the lines of what all the apostles' letters warn about. Like Paul warns in 1 Corinthians and Romans and Ephesians. Like Peter warns in 1 Peter. Like John in 1 John where he says, don't love the world or the things of the world. Or Jesus where he calls us to be salt and light. Being unstained from the world means that our affections and our actions are distinctly different from the world. Our loves need to be different. Religion that is pure not only looks after orphans and widows, but is marked by a different set of affections and a different set of actions. Our sexual conduct should be distinctly different. What we get excited about should be distinctly different. Our media intake should be distinctly different. Our use of social media should be distinctly different. Now, Without the beginning of verse 27, I think we would be like those on Jesus' left at the judgment, whom he refers to in Matthew 25, 41, when he says, Then, this is God's word in Matthew 25, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. 
And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So that's what, if we don't have, <clears throat> if we don't have the beginning of verse 27, I think we get that. And if we don't have the end of verse 27, I think we end up like those whom Jesus sends away in Matthew 7. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then he will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So we need, we need both. We need the action, caring for orphans and widows, and we need knowing and loving God, keeping oneself unstained from the world. So I think sometimes we can forget that the Bible is a unified book, a unified story, and if we do, it can seem like James and some other New Testament passages are just giving us additional commands to follow, but I don't think that's the case. I think it's helpful for us to remember what Jesus says about the greatest commandment. Do you remember the greatest commandment? What did Jesus tell the man who asked him the greatest commandment? Well, here's what he says. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. So I, think, I think that's what James is saying. I think James is saying, if you look at verse 27, I think it's helpful for us to maybe summarize it as loving God and loving others, is what verse 27 says. Loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength is keeping ourselves unstained from the world, and caring for orphans and widows is loving our neighbors. We need both of these parts to wholly live out religion that is pleasing to God. Well, I think that's the what. I think that's what this passage means. Now let's get to the why. So, so why? why? Why, knowing that, why do we need to live this out? Why should we care for orphans and widows? Why should we keep ourselves unstained from the world? Well, I'm glad that you asked. We're going to look at that. If we look at the Bible as a whole, and we look at the places where God commands his people to live in a certain way, or if we go to the New Testament and look at the letters urging God's people to live holy lives, it almost always is accompanied with a why. Did you know that? Do you know when you look in the Old Testament even, it's usually accompanied with a why. Look at Deuteronomy 5. God reminds the Israelites when he's calling them to a very different lifestyle, a very long set of commands he says the reason, the why, is because they were slaves in Egypt, but now he had freed them. We go to the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 6.19, when Paul is calling these Christians to a much different lifestyle, he says, here's the why, because you are not your own, but you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. This has always been the biblical practice. This has always been the way... God commands most often when God calls his people to a holy living, it's coupled with the fact that he has saved, redeemed, and purchased that people. And it's no different today when we look at James 1.27. Why do we need to offer acceptable worship, true religion to God? Because in Christ, if you are in Christ, he has purchased us. He has redeemed us. He has saved us. We are not our own. We are his, so we are to live in a way that he's called us to live. It's so important to see that. God doesn't just give us a list of commands with no reason. 
Really, the the beauty of the gospel is that he calls us as those who are already saved, as those who are already purchased, to walk out the good works that he's intended for us. It's not us earning our way to God. It's walking out the way that he has created us, Ephesians 2.10. But I think there's another reason. I I think that's, that's why we obey the Lord, but why specifically orphans? Why specifically love God and love others? And I hope someone had noticed uh, that I didn't mention one of the words. Anybody notice what word I didn't mention as we were going through word by word? Yeah, the one word I left off was Father. Let's look back at verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Why do we offer religion to God? Because he's worthy and because he's purchased us. But why specifically orphans and widows? I believe it's not, or I believe it's because it's not before God the supreme leader, as Craig said this morning. It's not uh, before God the judge that we're offering worship. It's not God the dictator. It's not even God our buddy. But God the Father. This is God's eternal role. This is where awareness of the beauty of the Trinity comes into play. God the Father. Why is he a father? Because God the Father has always been God the Father. Eternally. He eternally has this relationship with God the Son. He is Father to the Son. And through God the Son and the work of the Spirit, by the grace of God, we are brought into this eternal relationship as sons and daughters of God. You and I were dead in our trespasses and sin. You and I had sold ourselves to the God of this world and we were left as orphans. But God, being rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ and adopted us in Christ. And Christ Jesus himself in John 14 says he will not leave us as as orphans. If we've been adopted, if we've been loved, then we are to love those in need around us. Why does God want his people to care for those with no father? Because he is our father. Why does he want children to care for those who have lost their husband, their protector? Because God the father cares for and loves and protects his children. We are to live this way because we are his and because that's the way that he is. So how? So that's what and that's why. Well then how? Well, I think there's three things that I want to look at for how. The first um, is that when we look at James, we really look at any commands in the, uh, in the Bible that are to Christians, is the very first thing is this only applies to Christians. If you're motivated today, you're, you're, you know, you're, maybe you, you got teary-eyed as you're watching the, the testimony or you're hearing about the needs around us, you're like, man, I want to, I want to serve. I want to help those in need. But you're not a Christian, this, this, would, this would be, uh, if you just practice this, this would be damning if I just told you, hey, go do, go do that stuff. That's what God wants. He wants you to go do that stuff. But you don't have a right relationship with the Lord through Christ. You're, you're not growing in acceptability, if you put it that way. You're not growing closer to God through serving him because we don't earn our way to God. He's made a way for us. And there's only one way for us to be in right relationship with him, and that's through Christ. Do you know God the Father through God the Son today? 
Are you trusting in in Christ today? Are you trusting in his finished work for you? Are you trusting that the only thing that makes you right before God is Jesus' perfect life and his death for you and his resurrection power, the Holy Spirit at work within you? Is is that what you're trusting in? Are you trusting in, I'm going to be better tomorrow? We call you today to trust him today. That's our, our first point. Everything else flows from that. The first point of application of the how is to trust in Christ to become a Christian today. Well, for those of us that are in Christ, those of us that are trusting in Christ, I think there's two other hows, uh, and I want to look at them like this. Loving uh, others and loving God. Loving others I've broken into three groups because I think when we look at the verse here, I think there's three groups uh, that we could apply this loving others to. The first group are orphans and widows. I know that's a shocker. Uh, You didn't see that coming. But yes, orphans and widows. We can love and care for orphans and widows. Real orphans and widows. Orphans, people who have lost their parents. Uh, today, uh, Today is Orphan Sunday. It was started by Gary Schneider from Every Orphan's Hope 20 years ago. Right? That's a ministry that we could partner with that really cares for orphans, people who have lost their parents. There are other ministries that are out there that care for real orphans, and you can go out the lobby to your right. There's a table out there where Diane Shaw is there, and you can ask her and say, hey, I want, I want to help serve orphans. Tell me where I can get plugged in. Tell me what I can do. She's, I'm sure she's got a list. I know she sent it to me. She's got a list of ways that you can get involved. Caring for widows, we can do that through our Mercy and Benevolence Fund in the church, and we have done that by God's grace. Uh, You can go and you can talk to F.J. O'Leary, who's our deacon over that ministry, and you can find out, how can I serve? Are there widows right now that I I can pray with, that I can care for, that I can encourage? And you can serve that way. So that's our first group of loving others is literally right here in the text, orphans and widows. The second group of people that I think we can love still comes from the text, and it's actually the the word here for orphan, um, that Greek word can mean literal orphan, somebody who's lost their parents and is now parentless as an orphan, but it can also be uh, not just somebody who's lost their parents through death, but somebody who's lost their parents through the parents willingly leaving them, right, abandonment, and that's where I think we can apply and say that's where foster care comes in. Because foster care is rarely caring for somebody who's lost both of their parents and is an orphan. In our country today, uh, foster care is usually somebody who's lost their parents because their parents have chosen to neglect them, to pursue a lifestyle of whatever it is, of something away from their kids. Sometimes willingly and sometimes just unknowingly as they pursue this lifestyle, they've left their kids behind. And so one of the ways that we can serve those who have been abandoned is through foster care. And again, you can go out the lobby to talk to Diane Shaw to get more information on how we can serve in foster care uh, and how you can serve children who have been abandoned or neglected. Alongside of foster care is also the ministry of respite care. Who uh, Respite care comes alongside of those who are doing the grunt work, working foster care and watching these children and respite care comes in and you say basically I'm going to I'm going to help babysit if, for lack of a better word I'm going to help give you a break for maybe one night maybe it's a weekend but I'm going to provide 
a relief for you as a family who's serving and doing foster care. We're going to come in and, and provide respite and provide uh, relief for you. That's another way that you can serve. And if you want more information, go out and talk to Diane. Or you can come to talk to the pastors. We know as well. But I'm just trying to drive you out there because Diane has the full list of ways that you can get involved. And the third group that I think is still consistent. It's a little bit broader, but I think it's still consistent with what James is talking about here. Third group of people is just the most vulnerable among us. There are children, young people, and adults among us who are vulnerable and whom we can love, who we are called to love and to care for. I think Life Talk is an example of a ministry that does this. Uh, Life Talk uh, it pro- provides resource and ministry and counseling for women who are pregnant and are maybe considering adoption or just struggling with, or not adoption, they're considering adoption or abortion. And it's a ministry that's coming in to try to say, hey, you can you know, either adopt or you can actually keep this baby and, and um, parent this baby yourself. And so Life Talk uh, provides the resources and counseling. And so they, they're looking for volunteers both men and women, and actually right now they have a huge need for, for men because oftentimes the woman who's pregnant brings the father of the baby and they, they come to the meeting together. And so they at that meeting they take the lady into one room and she meets with the lady to get counseling and, and then the, the guy will go and needs a guy to, to meet with. And so they actually need, uh, they're called uh, advocates, but basically uh, guys who would meet with the fathers of the baby to uh, encourage, counsel, uh, and a lot of times, um, they were telling me that a lot of times that leads to a long-term kind of discipleship relationship, and so great opportunity to love those vulnerable, needy around us. There are other ways to be advocates, um, to provide protection, so the question I would ask is, who, who do you know? Who is vulnerable? Who is needy? Who's in need of advocacy, protection, or care, or friendship near you? I think that's the broader application. First, you know, most narrow would be widows and orphans, children who have been abandoned, people who have been abandoned, uh, and then vulnerable people in general. And the last how, the last way of application, I think, is to love God. So I know James says to keep oneself unstained from the world, and I didn't do a really good job of explaining this earlier, but I really do believe that the, the behind the heart of keeping yourself unstained from the world is love for God. Think about what John says in 1 John 2.15. He says, don't love the world or the things in the world. Well, then what am I supposed to love? If I don't love the world and the things of the world, what am I supposed to love? Implication, I'm supposed to love God. I think it's what Thomas Chalmers called the expulsive power of a new affection. If we love God, if we pursue Him, if we fix our eyes on Him, if we meditate on His holiness, we'll be repulsed by the things that would degrade that. If we contemplate His compassion toward us, we'll grow to be more grateful and in turn be more compassionate toward others. As we Christians, empowered by the Holy Spirit, pursue our Father, we will, by the power of the Holy Spirit, be transformed more and more like Him in our actions and in our affections. We're called to love God with our whole heart, to love God with our whole being, and to love others as ourselves. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. 
To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.